0: Good morning, guys. Why don't you all stand and, uh, if you'd like, open your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter 3. We've been in a series looking at this book. If you guys don't have Bibles, go ahead and raise your hand. We have some ushers that would love to get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. It's our gift to you guys. So we've been in a series looking at uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, 1 Peter, and uh, I've been looking specifically what we'll read today is the bigger, broader uh, topic or theme, if you would, the idea of a good life, and that'll become clear as we read through this. But um, the bigger element that Peter, this first century writer, was trying to address was to help Christians. To embrace their faith, to cling to Jesus, to resist temptation and evil and wickedness, and yet at the same time be able to, to enter into some form of progress in terms of spiritual growth and development and being the people that God's called them to be in an environment and a culture that for the most part is hostile towards them. It's one of the reasons why we've been basically saying this is such an important and relevant book for us to really spend some time thinking about. Um, so what I want to do right now is I want to read the passage, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get to work looking at the subject matter. So 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll just look at a handful of passages here because, like I said, over the past few weeks, we've been really finely tunely, fine-tuningly focusing upon just that handful of passages primarily around verse 10. And then also throwing in the verse 15 as well, which will make sense. So let me go ahead and read this, and then we'll jump in. Verse 8 says, this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for this is what you were called to, that you might obtain a blessing. Verse 10 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days is where we get the idea of a good life. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And then skip on down to verse 15. Uh, It says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And this is the word of God. So let me pray and we'll jump in. So Father, right now we commit our time, our thoughts, our energy to you. We ask God that you would reshape and remake us. God, I pray as well that you would cause us just to catch a glimpse of your beauty. Uh, God, we can have data and facts and some degree of certitude and yet still miss the mark of loving you and knowing that we're loved by you. So, God, I pray this morning that you would just help us to see who you are and what you have in store for us. And that you would allow us, enable us to walk in a way, God, that is reflective of your character and your ways. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all grab a seat? So a couple quick things to start off with. I'll show you the next slide. Um, Just some things in terms of summary to think about. That this good life, this idea of the good life is, verse 10, is actually built upon this foundation of Jesus. Verse 15, which I just read. Yet we pointed out last couple weeks that there are occasions when disappointments and or difficulties oftentimes cause one to question the reality of their faith next slide that this testing this examining and in some cases even destroying of one's faith or previously held beliefs has oftentimes become known as what we would describe as deconstruction it's a common popular term today again like i said in a lot of ways it's more modern in terms of the past you know I would say past 10 years in terms of general public. I mean, it dates back to a French philosopher, but the big idea is it's become more popularized in terms of just the way people tend to think about today because what we've been looking at in terms of social media, people recognize people when they deconstruct, they deconstruct publicly. They use their social media platforms to be able to do that. Um, Media in general has kind of Carried stories long and wide and broad. It's kind of created, I think, in our modern day context. A lot of people that sort of like relate with that, they kind of find some degree of uh, commiseration with that as well. And so what we've been trying to say is that this idea of deconstruction um, that gets known as that, I think has been repackaged or rebranded, but can be also identified as questioning one's faith. Or in some cases, if you were to go back hundreds of years, the idea of the dark night of the soul. Or some other scholars or Bible teachers have described it as spiritual depression. Um, one author describes it this way as this uh, night of unknowing or dark night of unknowing. And the big idea of unknowing is not just simply knowing nothing, but the idea of sometimes having to unlearn certain things to in, a, in order to relearn other elemental things. But one of the things that we've been describing is that the bigger question is like, what is deconstruction. What is deconstruction? So I gave a little bit of a definition that this is the process of reevaluating one's core beliefs about God, yourself, and the world. But one of the things that we've been talking about is the importance of not just simply staying in deconstruction, deconstructive mode, because that doesn't provide any form of progress at all. In fact, I would even go so far as to say is to find fault or wrong with Christianity or the institutions that kind of have been, um, you know, influenced by Christianity, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. There's plenty of content to choose from that can find fault with Christians, Christianity, Christian, Christian institutions. Plenty. But it actually takes an act of the Spirit, in my opinion, to step into a new world that begins to reconstruct something that's helpful and healthy and good and life-giving and brings peace and brings God's goodness into this world. And that's my, my big aim for you is to help you as a follower of Jesus. Why? Because, as Peter describes, the idea of he who loves life— this concept of a good life. How do we live into a good life? So just if you were not here last week or the past couple weeks, um, as I mentioned, we've been really in this series of First Peter, but the past like three weeks uh, has been basically one long sermon, which I just have to tell you up front, spoiler, spoiler alert, uh, this will actually stretch into one more week because there's no way I'm going to be able to get to all the information. So it's a four-week sermon, basically, one sermon over four weeks. You're welcome. But the point that I would make is this, is that there are occasions. I'm just going to be really raw and honest with you. There are occasions as I'm teaching through passages of the Bible where I'm just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, trying to make sense of it. And there are occasions when I'm reading through something where I just – I'm sensing – uh, a stirring in my heart, the Lord prompting me, taking me down a rabbit trail, which I don't always know where it's going to end. This is kind of like that right now. The past several weeks has been like every time I sit down to study, to think, to pray, to go through this, I just feel like the Lord taking me down this other rabbit trail. So, so my hope is if you're coming here and you're just like, I want a verse by verse, and I don't want any drift from First Peter, then I'm going to totally disappoint you. But if your aim is like, I really want to hear a word from God, I'm confident, not because of who I am or what I have to say or what I have to bring, but I'm confident God will meet you because God's really good. And anything that I say that is, that is, that is not helpful, I'm definitely not going to blame God on that. That's all on me. But if there's anything that's helpful in this series that will bring light or help or peace or hope, uh, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. My hope would be that as we kind of go down this rabbit trail of really trying to make sense of this good life, life the idea behind that is part of this prospect, of moving into what Peter describes as a good life. There are occasions where we have to take a look at what has been given to us, what we inherited, or what we thought we knew about God, because it no longer serves us. It's no longer helpful for us. That we have to dismantle it, think through it critically and carefully, and then replace it with something that is more sustainable. That's kind of where we're at right now. And so that leads me to this next thing, which is like, what is... Reconstruction. What do we mean by that? So, what I mean by that is simply this it's the process of solidifying your core beliefs about God, yourself, and the world. The process of solidifying your core beliefs about God, yourself, and the world. Now, again, this goes back to two weeks ago, but we described that there are several reasons why there are, uh, that, that people kind of go through this process of deconstructing. Their faith or doubting their faith or questioning their faith or going through a deep, dark night of the soul. Again, I I personally said this several weeks ago. I really don't even like the word deconstruction. I don't think it's fully helpful. I think it's popular and it's the, you know, it's the language that we have been given in our modern world. And it's what most people identify or know in terms of doubting one's faith. So, again, I I realize it's what I have to work with right now. It's not my preferred word to use Uh, But at the end of the day, my hope would be to to at least take what we have and then move into something I think might be a little bit more helpful. There's at least five reasons, and uh, let me also just throw out another intention of mine. My hope would be over the next few weeks to actually create like a document that we will have on our website or my social media that hopefully will help kind of lay out these past few weeks of this teaching that might help you. My, my hope would be to kind of clean it up a little bit and, you know, get rid of some of the ums and the pauses and the stories that are probably not even helpful in any way. But to just kind of strip it back, to give you just the raw information and data for you to be able to kind of process and think through. You can share it with your friends or whatever. But the hope would be to kind of point you back with the big aim of saying, how do we re- reconstruct Well. Let me let me take one step back further before we jump into this even further. Many of us have not even intentionally or carefully constructed. Let me repeat that. Many of us, in our understanding of who God is, we haven't even actually constructed properly. So a lot of deconstructing elements that are oftentimes happening in our world today are, are, are basically deconstruction actions that are done as a way of dismantling what they have, but there has never been really in an intentional stepping into what, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself, who I am, my sexuality, marriage, life, how it should work, how I think about my... What, how do I even comprehend and live into some of these things? And this is what I'm saying, is that the Christian life The Christian life actually involves all of this. A lot of times Christianity has been kind of like reduced to really a get out of hell, jail free card. This idea of like, if I say the right prayer, if I have the right code of words and ideas and terminology, if I believe the right like elements about who God is, it's like the passcode to get me out of hell one day when I die. So that leaves me right now in today's world trying to figure out everything else. I want to suggest to you, I think it's probably one of the reasons why a lot of younger people have just come to this conclusion that Christianity is not even relevant. It doesn't even make sense. And I would suggest it's because it's been built upon a false assumption as to what Christianity is in the first place. Christianity involves the entirety of how I live my life. Who I understand who I am. Who I understand who God is. Who I understand my neighbor to be. And so my hope would be to help provide some tools to help you to construct well, before you even go into any form of deconstruction. So let me jump into this and begin to take a look at some of these ideas of trying to help us to reconstruct well a life that would hopefully lead to some form of flourishing and goodness in this world. What Jesus describes, I believe, as eternal life, eternal life. That's the big idea. Um, I want to think about four different healthy ways to reconstruct four different pillars if you want to put it in that context i'm not going to get through all these i'm just going to tell you this straight up front um i mentioned these last week but these are wisdom healing community and faith all four of these are essential in order to actually begin to reconstruct well you need all of them all of them Uh, and again we will get into healing community and faith Uh, more so next week. Today, as I was kind of jumping into this and thinking about this idea of wisdom, I just realized, like, there's way too much content for me to try to quickly uh, move through these uh, at light speed. So um, I'm just going to look at the subject matter of wisdom and why wisdom is so essential. Uh, Because otherwise, if we don't have wisdom, what do we have left to try to make sense of this life? In other words, if if our objective is to build a good life, you have to start somewhere. And you need a blueprint. You need a blueprint. Um, and this blueprint, we're going to call all four of these. But the first element or ingredient or pillar of this blueprint is wisdom. We have to start with wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Now, what I want to do real quick is I want to jump into this and begin to think a little bit about what the idea of wisdom is. So this uh, I'll give you a little bit of a working definition. So wisdom is the ability or skill to do something well with the aim of living well. All right. In other words, the good life, living a good life. Life And again, I would describe that this is how, uh, uh, though the Bible does not necessarily have an actual definition, you know, here's exactly what the definition of what wisdom is. We we can deduce from a variety of passages and scriptures what wisdom is. And this is kind of a collaboration of that. Wisdom is the ability or skill to do something well, ultimately with the aim of living well. And here's what I mean by that. There's two elements, I think, that are basically affixed to wisdom. In fact, the Hebrew word for this is Hokma. Uh, the Book of Proverbs, as you see at the sentence at the very end, the Proverbs is the only book in the entire Bible to specifically claim to make its adherents wise. Again, I love this. So that the, the Bible itself, this big collection of sixty-six books, one of those books we call Proverbs. So, one that your grandma says, "Make sure you read a proverb every single day." You're like, "Yeah, whatever, grandma." And you, you know. But the point of the matter is, is that if you actually take grandma at Face value. And you're like, okay, I'm going to read. I'm going to devote myself to reading Proverbs. And I'm going to live according to these things. Um, You will actually be pressing in deeper towards the path of wisdom. How do we know that? Because Scripture tells us that. It's exactly what Proverbs is claiming. That as you read Proverbs, as you imbibe the language and the verbiage and the ideas that are basically construed there. Uh, it will make one wise. So that leads us to the question of like, what is wisdom? And I want to just take a look at some aspects of this. So for example, in terms of like an ability or skill, here's some passages, I'm not going to go through all of them, but you'll see that the ability or skill of being an artist or a craftsman involves uh, wisdom. Again, you can take a look at some of the passages there. Leaders who lead well. They lead well, the word that's used to describe their activity of actually leading well. I think we've all probably seen or have been under the uh, direct impact of someone who does not lead well. And it just creates chaos. Have you guys ever been there? you know, to where the environment, the culture is filled with just sheer chaos. It's not leading well, but those that lead well, you're in this environment you're like, oh man, this is good, and the decisions they're making make sense, and their actions and their ability to stand up to injustice and unrighteousness, it, it actually brings a sense of, of wholeness and peace. Uh, what the Bible would describe as shalom. Everything is firing together in a way that's healthy, that's good. Um, the The, the The ability, the skill to actually do that well is what the Bible describes as wisdom. Uh, Warriors or soldiers that actually go to battle well. Again, another usage of that. Entrepreneurs that know how to make money well in an honest, fair, just way. The Bible actually describes in the book of Ezekiel that this is an act of wisdom. Wisdom. So this is a variety of ways. So again, if you simply deduce this from the idea of of an action or a skill, that's what wisdom is. But again, the bigger picture, I think the way that the Bible has it in mind, is that when you live your life in such a way that applies the principles of God, you will begin to live into goodness, a good life, a good life. Um, So again, what I'm suggesting to you is that if you're going to reconstruct, well, or even begin by saying, I want to construct my life, Well, you have to begin with wisdom. We have to begin with wisdom. Again, I realize in our culture today, there are so many voices vying for our attention, uh, inserting themselves into our lives, asserting themselves or their ideas over our thinking. And saying you got to follow this, live this, and again you got influencers, you got popular people, you got superstars, you've got all sorts of people that are in popular positions of authority, telling us here's the path, follow this. Here's the right way to do this. Here's what uh, you know, celebrity A and celebrity B are doing. And so follow this. We have propaganda. We've got media. We got marketing. All of these campaigns that are aimed at trying to get us to live and to grasp a vision or to apprehend the good life. But in the end, big question that I think it's important as far as us constructing our lives is is they're ultimately going to be given what is being promised there. How sustainable is it? How long-lasting is it? This is where the gospel comes in. This is actually, Jesus says, I'll give you eternal life. It's life that will never, ever, ever end. It's not just simply for some point out there in the future when you die. It begins now. Goodness. Goodness good life. And again, it comes with us partnering, saying yes to Jesus, stepping into this. And we'll look at the whole aspect of this in terms of the concept of faith. But what I want really think about is the idea of wisdom. Okay, next slide. We'll go through a very quick um, survey of a handful of aspects of this. So the book of Genesis chapter uh, 2 and 3, we see the introduction of the first You know, humans on this planet are part of God's story, Adam and Eve. And God basically gives them this massive charge. He says, look, all of this planet Earth is yours. Enjoy. I mean, think about that. It's an amazing place that we live, right? What we call home is incredible. It's a gift that keeps on giving. But we got to treat it carefully. Uh, we got to steward it well. We also realize that there are things that can be destructive, too, like plastics are really bad. At some point, like, as a, as a human culture, we have to think about alternative ways of, like, how we, how we package stuff and whatnot. I mean, there are actually massive, massive seas of just plastics. I mean, I've been to third world country, countries where plastics are just everywhere. And it's really unfortunate when you're paddling around in the surf and you're bumping into plastic bottles everywhere. It's like there's no means or mechanism in place to take care of these things. But the point of the matter is, is this planet we live on is a gift that keeps on giving. And God says, this is yours. But you got to steward it well. And the question is, how do you do that well? The answer is wisdom. You've got to have wisdom. In other words, somebody's got to be giving instructions and direction. And the story with Adam and Eve, is, we see in chapter 3, is that they actually turn from God. They question God. They question God's motives. And they turn to the serpent. So the wisdom that they imbibed was not God's wisdom, but the serpent's wisdom. And it led to a Pandora's box of brokenness. And I would suggest, you and I right now, that's exactly what we're, we're continuing to do. Every single day we wake up. The question is, where will we get our instruction? Where will we get our direction? Where will we develop and hone our skills to live well? That's the question that you and I are faced with all the time. Influencers on TikTok? Celebrities? Who don't even have their own stuff together? Where are we going to turn? Politicians? They haven't even figured it out. Commercials, marketers, the metaverse, like where are we going to go? University to professor? Are they the repository of of eternal wisdom and truth and ideology? Where are we going to go? And this is where I would suggest to you. It goes all the way back to the very opening sequence of the Bible, Adam and Eve. They were faced with the exact same dilemma that you and I have faced with right now, where are we going to go? And Adam and Eve, they, 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 they turned from God, turned to an alternative source, and it led to a path of destruction. And what we see throughout the entire story of the Bible is this continual like, fork in the road of will we follow God, will we follow conventional wisdom? And you know, oftentimes they follow conventional wisdom, just like you and I are constantly guilty of. And it continues to lead to cycles of brokenness and violence and ruin, destruction, Until Jesus comes on the scene. And then he begins to bring people back to himself. He himself is actually described as the logos, the word, the word become flesh. He is the wisdom that's been embodied in flesh. We look to Jesus. So when we talk about wisdom, we're not just simply adhering to a certain truth or concept. We're talking about Jesus. Talking about having a, a living relationship with Jesus, not with the church, though the church is important, not just simply a relationship with listening to what a pastor has to say, though that can be important as well. But ultimately, it's about Jesus responding to the one who loves you, who gave himself for you. Uh, so, for example, James chapter 1, I'll go through these real quickly. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all who, without finding fault, uh, and it will be given to you. So the big idea that James seems to be implying here is that, that the wisdom that we need is in generous proportions. There's a lot. There's, it's not lacking. There's no scarcity when it comes to this wisdom that we so desperately need. Is that someone's theory? <laughs> I just trigger someone's theory? Um, but the point of the matter is, is that it's, it's, it comes with liberality. There's so much of it that's available. And James just simply says, hey, as you turn, as you need it, as you recognize, acknowledge the fact that you need wisdom, as you turn to God, God will give you everything that you need. James chapter 3, verse 17 goes on to say that the wisdom that comes from heaven or from God is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, or, uh, or, or humble, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Think about that, that the wisdom that God actually gives— it's not cantankerous. It's not angry. You're not going to go out and become violent and, you know, have abuse or take advantage of people. It's the exact opposite of that. So again, just from, from a secular world perspective, just look at that and ask, what is it that we need as a culture more than anything today? I would suggest it's everything that's described right here. Peace, people that are considerate, humble, full of mercy, good fruit. Man, where are we going to get that from? Facebook feed? Probably not. Jesus gives it. Gives it with liberality. Take a look at Proverbs, uh, verse 16 and 16. It says, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The big idea is that uh, we become like those who we spend the most of our time with. Choose carefully who you hang out with. Think about who you spend the majority of your time with. You will become like that. Again, this is not a call to isolate or to remove oneself or to look condescendingly upon people around you at all because that's not how Jesus was. But the big idea is, is to recognize that as you, as you follow God, there's gonna, there, you're going to begin to look at your landscape and say, who are the people that are like those who I want to become like? And as you invest yourself in their lives and they invest themselves in your lives, you're going to be cross-pollinating each other with the, the narratives that you hold on to, that you believe that define you. And that's why, you know, the, 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 the big idea is, is choose your friends wisely, those that you're going to give yourself to completely. Uh, I want to do a little bit of a nuance with this as well because the idea of wisdom also takes the shape of discernment. Discernment is, is a form of uh, wisdom. So listen to what Colossians chapter 2 verse says. Colossians chapter two says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in your faith, so that you, uh, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception or pseudo intellectual babble. According to the tradition and the musings of mere men, follow the elementary principle that follow the elementary principles of the world rather than following the truth or the teachings of Christ. So Paul's concern here is he's writing to this community of Followers of Jesus, is that as they live in this particular city of Colossae, which is a Roman colonized area, he says, I'm concerned that you are imbibing more of the broader cultural narratives around you than you are the ancient historic teachings of Jesus and God. And I, and I would suggest, guys, we are in the exact same space, exact same space. We are more prone to recite a song from our favorite musician than we are psalms <laughs> or to recite a teaching of Jesus. And again, I'm not saying this to make anybody feel ashamed. So if any of you are like, oh man, he, he hit me really hard. No, 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 the wrong wrong path. No, no, no. But I'm just simply saying that it's far more easier for us to, to mimic back or parrot back what our culture is saying than to know what even Jesus has to say. And, and I'm just suggesting that if we are going to construct our lives well, we, we are absolutely desperate for, for wisdom. Hebrews uh, chapter 13 goes on to say this in verse 9. He says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And he goes on to say, script. Uh, but the bigger point that he's making is that, look, as we devote ourselves to the way of Jesus, we also have to realize. Let me, let me just put it this way. What is the philosophy? And let me ask this in a question. What is the philosophy? Because he describes, be careful so that you don't get captive. Um, In other words, enslaved by various philosophies and ideas that are prevalent within a culture. And again, I would add that every culture throughout all time have been a variety of philosophies that have cropped up, become popular, and have died. You got to know this. Please hear me what I'm trying to say here. Throughout time, throughout the past 2,000, if not 4,000 years, plus there have been philosophies that have cropped up been popular for a season and then die so think about this if we are simply only being shaped by culture at large around us right now and we're investing the entirety of our energy and our mind and our thinking into the cultural narratives that are popularized right now what's going to happen when this die off what's going to replace it and so what I'm suggesting to you is that Paul's saying, construct yourself, construct your life upon the teachings of Jesus. Let me say this real carefully and clearly. Expect the enemy to deceive you. Expect it. Every one of us, expect it. Wake up in the morning, expect. Now, this is not to say live with a deep sense of suspicion where you're suspicious. Are you the enemy? Are you trying to no, Don't live like that. But become so well acquainted with the truth so that as you sense challenges to the understanding of who Jesus is and what the truth has to say, that you are able to acknowledge, oh, maybe this is something that will lead me astray if I'm not careful to cling carefully and tenaciously to the life of Jesus. Expect as well that knowing that you will always be sought to be deceived by the enemy, but know that the way the enemy deceives us will always come in packages and ideas and ideological frameworks that are always desires to you. So if you're looking for a reason to, you know, get it on with your secretary, you will find a reason why that's okay. You'll find a reason for it. The enemy is really good at just confirming our base desires. But the question is, is that the path that leads to flourishing in life that Jesus has for us? And this is what I'm saying, is that as we construct ourselves, we need, first of all, wisdom. So I think there, as I was thinking about this and prepping for this, there's at least two major societal ideologies that I think we have to be really careful. That I would even go so far as to say that our culture, our society, is in this continual state of deconstruction and reconstruction itself. That our society at large is constantly in a place so number one is what i would describe as religious pluralism religious pluralism is just the way of basically seeing saying that that all religions lead to the same source the same god it's very popular and common within our culture today that all roads lead to god and what i would suggest to you is as popular and as good sounding as that may be it's just simply not the case it's not true we don't believe all in the same God. Again, the big idea behind trying to deconstruct that, really carefully hear me out, is because it has been viewed that there, are within this construct of diversity, that there's a hierarchy. And one hierarchy is going to get the hegemonic power over the other and be oppressive to the other. So again, for example, Christianity has been a predominant religious force in the West, for a very long time. And have, here's the question, have Christians always treated others, of other religious faiths, with kindness, dignity, value, and respect? No, it's a joke. Of course, of course Christians haven't. There's been a smugness, an arrogance. I think, you know, we as Christians, I'm, I'm one of them, we just got to repent from it, and recognize, oh man, we haven't always, we haven't always acted in ways that are, that are consistent with the nature and character of Jesus. That's not good. We've, we've kind of become this abusers of power. And again, And, and we, we have to own that and recognize that's not okay. But at the same time, nor should we fall for the, the misperception that all religions lead to the same source because they simply don't. They're not all the same. The Jesus in Islam is not the same as the Jesus in Christianity. They're very distinct. And if you do the time and the research and begin to think about it and begin to realize, they are very different. The Jesus in Islam is, is a very, very popular and, and loved and appreciated prophet. That's it. He never gets worshipped. He never gets honored in terms of a, being worshipped as God. But the Jesus in the Bible... He calms a storm and his disciples begin to worship him. Every time that there is an angel or a being or something that gets worshipped in the Bible, they're always like, stop worshipping me. I am not Yahweh God. Jesus says none of that. Why? Because he's, he's God. Which means he's not just a prophet. He's, more than, he's not less than a prophet. He's more than a prophet. So again, religious pluralism might be very popular as an ideology in today's world, but it does not withstand the long test of time. And if we construct our lives upon religious pluralism, it might make you really cool or politically correct or woke, but at the end of the day, it will not help somebody that needs the true Jesus. So what I would suggest is that part of the process of growth and growing is that we begin to recognize that for some of us, we are so confrontative that we're always combative and pushing hard against everything that we just want to fight. And that's part of our nature. We just want to fight. Some of us are so passive, we're never engaging with anything. Some of us are, are neutral, or we're being influenced by everything. And I would suggest that a different way is to say we will follow the way of Jesus and construct ourselves and our lives around those things that are part of His heart. Another ideology I think that's important. I just want to address real briefly. And again, if I had way more time, I would go into this. But even the idea of family or sexuality or gendered identity. is a very, very popular, confusing topic in so many people's lives today. Kids are being told at a very young age. You don't even need to think about what your sexuality is. Because at some point, are you gendered? At some point, you you can choose your own gender. When that time is right. And it has led to so Much confusion in so many people's lives. When scripture teaches us, in the beginning, God made them male and female. Of course, there's different ways to live this out. There's different roles that oftentimes men can play out. And there have been toxic forms of masculinity that have hijacked the scene, that have been destructive and abusive and coercive and and, 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 and corrosive to our culture at large. But at the end of the day, scripture speaks into this. And I would even suggest that the idea of limitations leads to incredible amounts of freedom. The idea of choosing your own path forward can lead to an enormous amount of confusion. And I would say that's where our culture is at today. It's extremely confused. So the question is, how, do, and how should Christians think about these types of things? I'm going to read a real quick quote for you from a gal by the name of Nancy Piercy, and I'm going to finish this up. Nancy Piercy says this in a book that I would highly recommend. Highly recommend. She basically makes this massive argument for where our culture is at right now today is that we've created a dichotomy between the body, our body, physicality, and our mind and how we think, our emotions, our subjective feelings, and how we perceive ourselves. That there's a division between the mind and the body. And what she's saying that in our culture today, what is given preeminence is the mind over body. And she's, she's suggesting that maybe maybe what we need to do is actually let biology have have a pretty significant way of speaking, too. And what is biology saying as well? As well, at least being a voice within the voice framework. And she goes on to say this. Young people today live in a society that promotes, uh, that prompts them to question their psychosexual identity as never before. Thus, they set up an opposition between the body and the inner sense of being male or female, between... Uh, physiological facts, and subjective feelings. And then she goes on to describe specifically to Christians. She says, Christians must respond by offering a positive biblical worldview that affirms the value of the body and the unity of being human. At the same time, Christians should be the first in the line to nurture and support those who don't quote-unquote fit in by affirming the diversity of gifts and temperaments of the body of Christ. Not being the way that Christians have historically sometimes acted in ways that things are different or distinct or outside of their world of thinking to mistreat people in unfortunate ways what she's saying is a totally different way of just saying no 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 we we welcome people but we don't we don't shy away from what the biblical narrative says that god created these things good The question is how do we live into those things how do we respond to those things in a way that's reflective of the character and the nature and the heart and the mission of jesus all right lastly i want to finish with some final thoughts in terms of what are some hindrances to wisdom what are some hindrances to wisdom? And I'll just say a couple of real quick things. Number one, I would say that as a culture, at least in the West, we're far too easily offended. I read a book, highly recommend, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. If you've not read this, you've got to like write this one down and add this next to your line of reading of... The Nancy book, but he describes the idea that there has been this culture that has been coddled where any form of offense, no matter what it is, you get to choose, we are deeply offended people. So we write people off, we cancel them, we get rid of them, we attack them, we counterattack, we do everything because we are so easily offended. So here's the thing. This becomes a challenge, especially in a culture where we are absolutely dependent in terms of the construction of our lives. We need wisdom. Where's that wisdom going to come from? Sometimes, sometimes. When wisdom comes, it feels a little bit confrontative. Brothers and sisters, don't shy away from the discipline of the Lord, the word of God. There's going to be occasions where it will feel like it doesn't make sense, where it's contradictive to the way that you've thought and understood things. But this is where I would encourage you, that people who follow Jesus all throughout the history of the church have had to face a crisis do I follow Jesus' wisdom that doesn't make any sense to me, or do I follow my own conventional wisdom that does make sense to me, at least for now? And I say, at least for now, I mean, how, how many of you? I'm, I, was, I was reading a quote on Facebook the other day, and this guy was saying, that look, a lot of times my ideas that I even, I'm even conveying right now, five years from now I'll look back and I'll read those and be like, oh my gosh, what was I even thinking that I even said that? I'm the same way. So if you're believing tenaciously, holding on to the narrative that you are telling yourself right now, What's to say in five years from now, you're going to have an entirely different narrative? In other words, it's malleable. It changes. Let me put it another way. It's not eternal. But Jesus' word is eternal. So I think number one, we have to just acknowledge the fact that we are far oftentimes too easily offended. We view any form of corrective from Scripture as like a microaggression. And then we resist. We fight. And I I wonder, and I say this so carefully, I wonder how many, how many, aside from the fact there are some really good reasons why people have begun to dismantle what they have inherited in terms of their understanding of God. I wonder how many people have actually just been offended because what truth spoke to them just disrupted their soul and made them angry and they walked away. So Proverbs 9, verses 8 through 10 says this, Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will become wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs fourteen twelve says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, and it's gender inclusive, so this also involves women too. There's a way that seems right to a man as well as a woman. But it's end oftentimes can lead to death. Think about that. What are, what's the mental map? What's the GPS that we've placed our confidence and our hope in right now that we are trusting that this is going to get us? Whatever it is, whatever framework, whatever ideology, whatever concept that we're holding on to, that we are trusting that that's going to get us, buy us into the good life. There's a way that seems right in that moment. To human beings but in the end at in the long run it fails to deliver all that it's promising the alternative i would suggest is jesus i'm going to have the worship team come on forward right now as we begin to go to the table i want to read over you guys a passage in john chapter 6 it's a story where jesus is speaking with his disciples and again most of you guys are familiar with the story of Jesus that his ministry began to grow. Many people began to follow him. There were all sorts of quote unquote disciples, people that were interested. He had he had those that were friends and he had foes and he had, you know, people that were just like, you know, fanatic about Jesus, you know, all across the spectrum. But there are occasions where Jesus taught things and said things that just were disruptive to the community people were offended they didn't understand jesus he didn't make sense to them and let me just read this over you it says when in verse 60 when many of his disciples they heard jesus say this it says this is a hard saying who can listen to it let me read it up here he says but jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this he said to them do you take offense at this the words that i've spoken to you they are spirit and life he said, after this, many of his disciples actually turned back and no longer walked with him. So, Jesus then turned to his twelve. Do you want to go away as well? And some impeach, Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But I would ask you to consider, where else will you go? Where else will you turn? What other hope do you have? culture society at large who's in its own state of deconstruction and reconstruction the ideologies that are popular in our moment right now on tiktok social media instagram will you turn to that will you give yourself to that narrative that five years from now it's going to be a different narrative and then what will you be brothers and sisters where else will you go this is not new. Deconstruction is not new. It's not novel to 2022. It's been around since this very moment where Jesus' own disciples are like, what you just said, Jesus, is mind-blowing. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense to me. Jesus like, where else? Are you going to walk away now? And Peter, I think in one of these most amazing moments, just like, I don't know where else to go. Guys, I get this. There's a lot in our life right now that does not make sense. It's confusing. It's crazy. It's chaotic. But what other hope are you going to hold on to? What else is going to get you from a place of chaos and ruin and destruction and despair and pain and defilement to a place where you move into peace Where your life is put back together again. Following Jesus is not always going to make sense. But I promise you, I promise you, in the end, along with a host of multitudes and multitudes of people that have done the same throughout all history, they will be around the throne of Jesus and they will proclaim worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. It's going to be a long path to get there. We're gonna have to face many trials. Jesus said, "If they hated me, they're gonna hate you." I'm confident that where we're at right now as a church, as followers of Jesus in our culture right now, will continue to shape. And I don't want to like have this doom and gloom mentality. But what I would suggest to you: Where are you gonna be as a follower of Jesus if you don't have a church building to go to? If you don't have a youth group or children's ministry to drop your kids off, what? How else are we gonna live? We don't have musicians up on stage playing music through a loudspeaker. If church looks vastly different five years from now, what type of a Christian are you going to be? Are you going to even be a Christian? Or are we so dependent upon some of these cultural relics that those become kind of our functional leverage point to get us, perk us up? Good life. Music was so good today. So uplifting. Wonderful. That's great. I'm not knocking it. We love it. It's part of it. Part of the whole stick of what we do. But at the end of the day, cling to Jesus. I don't know where else we're going to go. So I want for us right now, how we all stand, and we're going to wrap it up. Why don't we all close our eyes and um, just bow our heads. We're going to partake communion just a moment here. If you're here this morning right now, and there are any Circumstances in your life that are leading you to say, I need to cling to Jesus. I need to exercise confidence in him. I need him. I need him right now. I just want to pray for you. If you raise your hand, just right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to step forward or say your name or anything. Just, I just want to pray for you. Anybody right now just need Jesus' strength. Awesome, I see you. Wonderful. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but as I pray, we're going to then create an opportunity, a space to partake of communion. The way that we're going to do this today is that you can come to the front. If you would like to partake of communion, um, come to the front, receive one of the elements uh, that are there for you, and then go back to your seat and we'll partake together. Um, if you have any needs whatsoever that you need prayer, maybe you're someone that had raised your hand and you want to pray with someone. We have some people over off uh, by the cross or over by the side over here that would love to just pray for you. So, Jesus, right now, we come to you, we confess to you our need, and God, we respond in just our own sheer desperation. We need you. We need your wisdom. God, we confess the world that we live in is filled with confusion, and yet we need you. We have our own challenges that we face, God, but we need